Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain, firm beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me when I am surrounded. Your love carries me. think of this passage in Zechariah. If you look up at the screen, it says, Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey.
This coming weekend is a week of celebration. It's going to be a night to remember the cross, receive communion, and worship Jesus with everything that we are. That's what we're going to be doing here on Good Friday. Our choir has assembled music and just a time of worship where we can lift our hearts and lift all that we are as a body of believers to the Lord. And we want you to come Friday night with anticipation of of meeting Jesus here because he will be here with us. Um, We want you to invite your friends, your neighbors, and and just um, come as, as a time of celebrating what Jesus did for us on the cross because we know he didn't stay there. We know that he did rise from the dead, and he's planning a, a home in eternity for us. But what a great way to remember him is on Good Friday. So please come and join us for a night of worship. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rhonda. Well, it's so good to see you in the Lord's house today. If you're happy to be here, say amen. You got it down. Okay. Uh, please reach in the book rack right there near you somewhere and pull out one of our little black friendship folders. And uh, if you'll be so kind to put your name on that and give it to somebody near you, we'll, pr- we'll appreciate that a lot. This is the time of the year that uh, so many things are happening at the church. It's like, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I, uh, I came up here yesterday and saw all the kids up here for the Easter egg extravaganza. And uh, I'm glad I planned it to come at the end of it because this, this whole hill was covered with kids and parents. And I want to thank everybody who had a tremendous part in making that a grand success yesterday. I, Pastor Al said there were at least 150 kids and about 400 people total, parents and other people that came with them. So. Uh, it was a terrific success, and we thank you for that. Uh, every Easter time, we ask our congregation to um, consider prayerfully giving a 30 pieces of silver offering. And uh, we're going to do that again this year. Uh, we use this money to do some little projects around the church. And this year, what we've designated is, is for our children's ministry. We were already actually started it by faith. We know you're going to give to it. And so please consider that. You can uh, designate that on your giving. If you can give more than that, of course, please do that because, um, you know, we, uh, we want our children's section downstairs in the church to be as comfortable and as we can possibly make it. So we'll do that next week. Also, inside your courier, we have this announcement of our, our luncheon for new attenders. If you're here in our church and you've never come to one of the luncheons that we provide, uh, please come to this one. Uh, It's uh, on April the 7th, right after this service. And uh, what we do is we sit down and we uh, explain the ministry. We talk about it, about the possibility of becoming a member of the church. And after we do all that, you you can make the decision whether you want to do that or not. But we just want to have it as a get acquainted time. We already have a pretty nice group of people signed up for it, but we'd like to get just a few more, so tear off that bottom portion for us and place it in the offering plate. You know, it's really amazing what the Lord is um, doing uh, in our church, how many people are stepping up. I've never seen this many people, our, our congregation itself, just step up and take their place and do the ministry. You know, men's ministry, we now have a special men's prayer meeting meeting on Thursday morning. And these things are, 
Some of these things are happening spontaneously. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that, and they couldn't have come at a better time. Some of you are reading the comments that I wrote in the Courier, because I see you come in, you sit down, and you start to read. And when you got down to this part uh, that says, this all couldn't have happened at a better season of life for Joanne and me, we need now to begin the transition of playing a lesser role in the church ministry and begin more mentoring for the future. And so that's, that's what we propose to do in the days ahead. Uh, we want the young people in our church to take more ownership of our church. And, uh, and so I want to ask you to pray about that. Uh, Joanne and I have set a time frame of about two years of transition. Transitioning this ministry on to the next generation. That means me stepping back some and having some of our staff people step up more some, take over some of those things that we're doing. And uh, we want the young people to set the vision of the church. Some of you were here when I came a long time ago and we had the vision of the church. And uh, we need another new fresh vision right now. And so I want you to pray with us and in about uh, four weeks from now, I'll come back and give you more information about that. But we think it's, uh, it's the right timing. And, uh, you know, whenever you were learning to, uh, to drive, your father, your mother took you out and you're going down the road. And all of a sudden you see your dad come over with his hand. He grabs a hold of the wheel. <laughs> you're getting like too close to the side, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to be around here, uh, sitting over here, and uh, just... Uh, making sure everything's going in the right direction. But I think it'll be a good time, and it'll be a positive time. And uh, it's already started in our church. It's already started. And uh, we just kind of want to make it official so that we can pray. And we want to ask you to pray that we can put together a little plan and of how this thing is going to unfold. And uh, we'll give that to you uh, in the days to come. Let's stand together, please, as our ushers come. And we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love, and we pray now that you'll bless us as we give for your work, Lord. You have provided a means of income for us, and now, Lord, we've come to provide uh, the income for the church. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of John, chapter 12. John, chapter 12. I'd like to talk to you this morning about Jerusalem's biggest parade. I was talking to one of the families of the church and they, the other day, and they said, well, one of our teenagers got on the tee the trolley, and they're headed out to the parade downtown. I guess in every generation, uh, somebody likes to go to the parade. Uh, this is uh, the biggest one in Jerusalem at the time, and I've uh, given you four passages of Scripture right up here in the front, and uh, there are a few, there are only a few incidents in the life of our Lord that are given in all four Gospels, but this is one of them. And if you look up these references, you'll get the whole picture. We're going to begin reading today in verse number 12, John 12, 12. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, that means when he ascended, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that he had done these things to them. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him because they heard it that he had done this miracle, this sign. Not only was Jesus a great attraction, of course, at the biggest parade in Jerusalem, but Lazarus was an enormous attraction too because everybody wanted to see this person who was once dead and now is actually alive again. And so he was an attraction. Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world is gone after him. I think this is a little bit of an exaggeration right here. Because in every age, we're pretty good at exaggerating things. You know, it's like we I know I am. I can, like, blow something way up. Um, ministers usually have the gift of embellishment, you know. Uh, but uh, they saw the tremendous pop popularity of Jesus here. And they, um, and they said, listen, we think the world has gone after him. There's no stopping Jesus. His popularity is enormous. 
Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. The occasion of this particular parade is the Passover. How many people here this morning have been watching the uh, series on television, The Bible? You've seen segments of it, sure. And uh, recently we kind of saw the Passover part of it. Uh, it's Passover time here in our scripture for this morning in Jerusalem. And the crowds are coming from around the world. Through the centuries, the Jews have always celebrated the Feast of Passover. Uh, they love to do this because it reminds them of how God delivered them from bondage in Egypt. But the actual Passover, the first one, happened in Egypt. You remember Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and they demanded that Pharaoh let Israelites go. And that went over like a lead balloon. Pharaoh said, listen, that's not happening on my watch. And so what happened is God began to uh, launch, assault Egypt with these plagues. And when you read them, and says they're incredible, these plagues. And it, with every one of them, Pharaoh said, no, I won't let the people go. Until finally the last one was given, the last plague. It was unique. Uh, it happened not only uh, to the people in Egypt, but also to the Israelites that were living there in Goshen. And uh, the Lord said, listen, I'm going to send uh, the death angel through, and uh, he's going to take the life of every male uh, of man and beast, unless you put some blood up on the post of the house. And you remember what that looks like. These people were, had went out and they killed the lamb and they got the blood and they painted the doorpost of their house. Now, you'd have to be a person of faith to do that because that looks kind of dumb, doesn't it? Uh, that's not something that people were doing every other day. But the Lord says, listen, if you do this, you'll be protected. I'll protect you if you do this. God is using this plague to teach them the principle that a blood sacrifice was needed for Passover. The substitute would picture Christ to come, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb was also a picture of the submissive Messiah. When Jesus came the first time, you know that they turned him down. They rejected him uh, because he wasn't the leader of their imagination. But he came the first time to be the suffering Messiah. The unleavened bread that they ate during this time was a picture of the sinless Messiah. And the bitter herbs were a picture of the suffering Messiah. I understand that uh, at this particular time, it was mandatory for every male to show up at this festival that lived in a 25-mile radius of Jerusalem. You had to be there. Well, I think that they not only had to be there, I think they wanted to be there because this was such a significant time for them. It was so exciting for them to come together to celebrate the things of God. And what was happening, and, and Mike referred to it up here, was the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, 
verse number 9. And there it is. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I was reading that in the 19th century, a person called uh, Chancellor Bismarck, uh, he was actually the chancellor of a place called Prussia or Germany, entered into Jerusalem riding on a white horse. Riding on a white horse uh, was emblematic of victory, power, war, strength. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, it was not on a white horse. It was on a little old donkey, uh, a little donkey which uh, was emblematic of peace and servitude. But this was his official presentation to Israel as the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus had been telling them along in different ways that he was the Messiah. Now he would pull out what we call the big object lesson. You know, a picture is worth more than a thousand words, isn't it? I mean, when you see something, you can remember it. But when you hear just a lot of verbiage, sometimes it just passes away. Uh, and so what Jesus does is he pulls out this picture right here. And whenever the people see that picture, they were referring back in their mind to Zechariah 9.9. The king is coming, riding on a donkey. This was an object lesson. I'm sure there was so much noise going on around this particular parade that uh, you couldn't hear much. So Jesus made something they could see right here. You know, the uh, religious leaders at the time really wanted Jesus to die because Jesus was causing such a problem with them. But they didn't want him to die at Passover time. And here's the reason. Because there were so many people coming in at Passover time and they knew that if, if they arrested Jesus, if they arrested him, there would be a riot of mega proportions. And they didn't want that because they had their comfortable little life. They had their power circles going on. And if a riot broke out, they would lose their grip on power. They wanted Jesus dead, but not at Passover because it would be a volatile time. But, now here's the interesting thing. They didn't want Jesus to die at Passover, but Jesus wanted to die at Passover. Jesus wanted to die at Passover time. Uh, whenever the Passover lambs were sacrificed, Jesus wanted to be right there uh, to say an emblem that this would be the last lamb the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he would be the Passover. He would be the one who shed his blood that would protect the people who are under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, and so it could be said of him in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, what Paul said, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. You know, Palm Sunday uh, would initiate a week that would forever change the course of history. You know, there could not have been a better time for this to have happened. Because of the analogy of the Passover, the press of all the people, 
the place that this was going to happen, of course, is right here in Jerusalem, verse 12. Jesus loved Jerusalem. You know, I, I, I want to press upon you as the Christian church to love Jerusalem too. It's special with Jesus. Jerusalem means the city of peace. Uh, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus said this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather her children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing Jesus loved Jerusalem. He loved the people in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was special to him. Uh, why? Because it was there that he sent his son to die for the sins of the world and to give the world peace. It was known in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 9, as the city of David. Psalm 87.3 says it is the city of God. Now let that sink in this morning. Jerusalem is the city of God. In Psalm 42.8 is the city of truth. There is not a city on the face of the earth that compares with Jerusalem. But you know, not only does Jerusalem have a past, but it has a future. Uh, it's going to be the abode of God in the future. Psalm 132 verse 13 and 14 says this, for the Lord has chosen Zion, Jerusalem. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever, God says. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. He said, this is special to me. This is going to be my home. It's like, uh, you know, you're from the Berg. God says, I'm from Jerusalem. <laughs> That's my hometown on earth. That's my mailing address. You want to get in touch with me? Send a letter to Jerusalem. That's where I live. And so Jerusalem is special to God. It's uh, the city of God. He came here to a special group of people, though, and I want to draw your attention to that this morning. Verse 13. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of who? Israel, Israel, the people. Who are the people that Christ came to minister to? They were the Jews, remember that. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, uh, at this particular time of the year, the Bible says that Jews came together from every nation under heaven. Now, just think of that. That, that kind of blows my mind this morning because, you know, it's pretty easy for you and me to travel somewhere. You know, you go online and you give them your card. You buy your ticket on Expedia. And uh, you get to the airport and you have your, uh, your mobile phone and you don't even have to give them a piece of paper. You just show the phone. I did that here uh, a few months ago. I felt so neat and, and up-to-date technologically. I was just praying to God I'd stay on the right spot there. I wouldn't be showing them Fox News or something as I pass on to the airplane. It's so easy for us to go somewhere that just think how hard it was for them to go anywhere. And that day, every, Jews were there from every nation under heaven. What a journey to accomplish that. Uh, there was a ton of people, not only Jews, but 
Here in verse number 20, the Bible says Greeks were there. There were other people, Gentiles there, that had become converts to Judaism. And they were coming for the festival. John chapter 1, verse 11 says, He came unto his own, that's the Jews. And his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the children of God. For the most part, when Jesus came to the Jews, they said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. We're not interested. Uh, He gave them a special invitation, though, right here. He wanted it to be for them a smooth transition. In Matthew chapter 10, I'm sure you've read that passage, uh, you find something very, very interesting about the ministry of Christ. It goes like this. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In the beginning of our Lord's ministry, he said, Listen, don't go to Samaria. Go to Israel. Don't go there. Go here. Go to my people. And so that's exactly what they did. They went to the Jews. And they said, listen, we have good news for you. The Messiah has already come. And we'd like to show you that from the Old Testament prophecies. Well, after a period of time, I think that everybody got the message that the nation of Israel wasn't going to go along with this whole idea to accept Jesus as their long-promised Messiah. And so I was reading a commentary one time, and I've always been impressed with Matthew eleven twenty eight. Do you know what that says? It says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the commentator said this, that after the Jewish people began to say no to Christ, the disciples would go out and they would preach, listen, we, have, we know, they said, no thanks, no thanks. Finally, Jesus came to this proposition right here, and he said, okay, now come unto me, all ye that labor, and I'll give you rest. The the message I have is for everyone. Well, here in verse number 13, he is known as the king of Israel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says this, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus aimed the gospel to the Jews first. In our world today, sometimes we aim the gospel to the Jews last. Don't we? To the Jews last. I thank God for our faithful missionaries over here in Monroeville, Jeff and Arlene Berg. Every time I'm in their presence, I feel, I tell you what, I feel like I'm in the presence of God. You can tell them that. Uh, They are so close to God. They love the Jewish people. Uh, They do things for the Jewish people that none of us would even think about doing. They care so deeply for them. And remember, that's exactly the the opinion that Paul, he said, he said, I wish that I could be accursed if my Jewish family would be saved. Well, this would be a natural progression for the Jews to come to Christ because All of these Old Testament prophecies pointed to Christ. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. But, you know, I think that what they had in mind was not spiritual salvation. It was physical salvation. Save us from uh, Rome. We hate these people. 
Well, historically, he came to the Jews. But after a period of time, about the time when he ascended into heaven, uh, he gave you and me a command. And it's found in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Let's read this together this morning, all right? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Wow, the end of the earth. So when Jesus came, he said, listen, don't go to the Gentiles, just go to the Jews. But now he says, listen, let's just go to everybody, okay? Let's go out and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, what does that practically mean? That means that Jesus came for you, and Jesus came for me in our generation. In every generation, Jesus came for all of us because he is not willing that any should ever perish, but that all should come to repentance. From uh, the year 1986 to 1990, Frank Reed was held hostage in Lebanon. For months at a time, Reed was blindfolded. He lived in complete darkness. Uh, He was chained to the wall, and he kept in absolute silence. On one occasion, he was moved to another room, and although blindfolded, he could sense other people were in the room too. And yet it was three weeks before he dared peek to discover he was chained next to Terry Anderson and Tom Sutherland. Although he was beaten, made ill, tormented, Reed felt most the lack of anyone caring about him. He said in an interview with Time Magazine, nothing I did mattered to anyone. I began to realize how withering it is to exist with not a single expression of caring around me. I learned one overriding fact. Caring is a powerful force. If no one cares, you are truly alone. Well, let me say to you this today. There are many, many people in our society that feel truly alone. And you know what happens? We have materialism to give us company. And we go out and we take our cards and we swipe them and we buy something and we say, maybe that will make me feel better. We don't verbalize it, but we think that. If I could get that. And what we do is we try to we try to fill this loneliness in our life with things rather than God. And my message to you this morning is this. Jesus came to fix the problem of loneliness in our life. Because when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, you are never alone again. Amen. You're never alone again. And you don't have to go somewhere and swipe something and get something to feel good because Christ gives you everything you ever needed or ever desired if you depend upon him and follow his word in your life. You know, on Palm Sunday when Jesus began his short journey to Jerusalem on that little donkey, let me say this to you this morning, and I hope you'll remember it. He had you in mind, 
And you say, well, Palm Sunday is so far removed from us. You know, how could that be? Listen, Jesus had you in mind. I believe that with all my heart. I don't believe that Jesus loved the Apostle Peter more than me or the Apostle John more than me or me more than you. Uh, He is so tremendous in his ability to love that he loves people completely, and we don't understand that. But he cares. He cares for you. He doesn't want you to try to fill your life with things because they never fill your life. Your life is not long enough. Your life is not big enough, and you don't have enough cards. You'll run out to fill your life with things. Sometimes when I'm thinking about the Lord, I feel so complete in him. Like I don't need anything more in my life. I have Christ. What am I saying this morning? I'm saying he's, he, he's come for sinners. That's you and me, everybody in this church this morning. He came for us. And so on this, uh, on this week, I'd, I don't want you to look at the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Easter time as something for someone else. Somebody over there in Africa, somebody in Australia, Mozambique, no. It's for you. It's for you. That's why Christ died. Oh, and what was the purpose of his coming? Uh, uh, the purpose was abundant life. And I know that word has been overused, and I'd like to define it for you today. Abundant life. Because I know when you turn on television, you hear these radio TV preachers and, and all these people, they talk about abundant life being some things that are material. You know, you're going to get more money and, and uh, all of this stuff. But, you know, abundant life is bigger than money. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, one of my favorite verses. Let's read it together, please. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You see the first life there? That's eternal life. Jesus didn't just come to make your life a little easier, to help you get through your life. He came to give you eternal life. That's what the Word of God is about. Life that lives on forever in His presence. That's the thing that really counts because, you know, we're hearing all the time. We just had the funeral of one of our finest members in this church this last week. Harry Anton was 48 years old. But he had eternal life. He had eternal life. Somebody came in to the Saturday night service and said, at our work, a man 51 51 years old just fell over, dead. And so that's why Jesus came. He didn't come to make our life uh, richer as far as the world is concerned. He came to give us eternal life, to pay the price for our sins upon the cross so that when, when the time comes, no matter what time it is, we're ready. We're ready to step right out and go to be with the Lord. Now, the first word life there is eternal life. And the second word, more abundantly, means something else. And I want to show you this, and I think it's on your notes this morning. I went to the Strong's Concordance, which is tremendously respected. 
for the definitions of biblical words. And uh, I, I want to give you the first part of this. What does this mean, a superabundant life? What does that mean? That means superabundant in quantity, quantity. Jesus said, I've come to give you a bigger life. Write that down, bigger life. Because a lot of times people think that their life is like so little. Well, when you become a follower of Jesus, he gives you a bigger life. He gives you something more to do. Something that has great significance. And some of you in this church already in your life have done some things that are tremendously significant because Jesus has given you a bigger life. Uh, a bigger life rather than just going to work and getting money to come home and put some bread on the table. I mean, you have a bigger mission. Okay? That's, that's only the first part of it. Jesus came to give you a bigger life. Now, the second part is this. Uh, it is super abundant. It is superior in quality. First of all, in quantity. Secondly, in quality. And what's that mean? He's come to give you a better life. A better life. Now, the world says if you follow me, you can have a lot of fun. But you know the people following the world, for the most part, not having much fun? They're not having much fun. Because Satan is a liar. And he's selling them a lie. And he's saying, listen, come and do this and you'll feel good. And, and in reality, they go and do that and it's terrible. They feel but It's awful. The consequences are terrible. And so Jesus says, listen, I've come to give you a better life. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean more money. That doesn't mean financial security. That means that Jesus will always lead you in the right direction, and that's better for you. That's what it means. Write that down. Jesus will always lead you in the right direction, and that's better for you. See, if you follow your friends, they might lead you over the cliff. And you might say, I don't know why I did that. I just didn't want to say no, you know. But Jesus always leads you in the right direction, and when you go in the right direction, you always get the right result. And so isn't that better for you? Wouldn't you like all your kids to make the right decision rather than the wrong decision? Because life is a whole lot more peaceable when you make the right decision and a whole lot more hellish if you make the wrong decision. And so that, that verse, John 10.10, 10, means this. I am come to give you a super abundant life in quantity, a bigger life, and I've come to give you a better life, superior in quality. Wow, isn't that incredible? A lot of times people have the idea that Christ has come to some way to constrict us, to keep us from the fun of life, but that's not so. I've hung out with some of these Christians for a long time, and they have so much fun. It's ridiculous almost sometimes how much fun they have because it's the right kind of fun. And so he's come to give us abundant life and he's come to give us help. We need help. I remember years ago in the old building over there in South Park, which we use now for the youth center, I was giving the invitation at the end of the service and, and you know, we were singing this song and this older lady was walking down the center of the aisle and it was going it was kind of slow. And she finally got up to the front, and I said, now, what have you come forward for? And she said, you know, I just need a little help. 
And I thought, wow, that kind of summarizes it. <laughs> we all need a little help, don't we? We sure do. Uh, she verbalized that we need help. We need in life financial help, physical help, spiritual help. Jesus came to help us. He's known in the Bible as the helper. Psalm 60 verse 11 says this, Please help us against our enemies for all human help is useless. Have you ever been to the place where no one could help you? Sure. Maybe you're there this morning. The Lord can help you. He does help you. Hebrews 4.16 says this, So let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Lord wants to help us. And so here he is. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a, a bigger life. I'm going to give you a better life. And listen, I'm going to help you do it. What a deal. What a deal from the Lord. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I just want to show you one other thing here. Excuse me, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse number 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. When Jesus came into town, his disciples were jumping up and down and making a lot of noise, and that, they didn't like that. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Uh, when I think of this, I think they're thinking, well, maybe we ought to just stick with the disciples rather than the stones. Because that would be even more convincing, wouldn't it? Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Wept over it. Now, I've said, I've said this to you before, but I, I, I have to review it each year. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept, remember? And that was in the setting of the of the funeral of his friend Lazarus. I think Jesus hates death. Because it hurts so many people. It hurts so many people. And when Jesus went to the funeral of Lazarus, and, and you have experienced this, in, in, in the church we've experienced this this last year, uh, uh, even this last week, when I looked at Harry Anton's friends with their broken heart, it hurt me. It hurt me. And so when Jesus went to the funeral of his friend Lazarus and he saw all these people crying, the Bible says Jesus wept. He hurt for them. It hurt him. Now the word wept, there are two... There are two original words, Greek words, for the word wept in the New Testament. The one is the one that Jesus was at Lazarus' funeral. And that word means this. You know, have you ever talked to somebody? I was just talking to somebody this last week, and I saw as I talked to them, their eyes got watery. You can see it, you know. It's like it fills up, and then it starts to leak, leak out a little bit. Not a lot, but you could just... That was the meaning of the word at the funeral of Lazarus. Jesus, that's the weeping that Jesus did there. But this word means something else. This means that Jesus broke down and began to cry. A different word. This was a bigger word. 
And he looked out over the city of Jerusalem, and this is what he said And when he was weeping. If you had known, even you, especially in this year day, that the things that make for your peace but now have been hidden from your eyes. I came to give you peace, and you turned me down. If you would just... And he began to cry about that. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. You're going to pay for this decision. But Jesus was not unmoved by it. And because sometimes we look at somebody and we say, oh, that's their decision. They can, either, they can either accept Jesus, they can reject Jesus. That's up to them. And we are so cold and calloused about it. Jesus wept over it. Jesus is not cold and calloused about our soul. Well, this is strange. This would break up any parade, wouldn't it? The center of attractions, they're crying. Everybody else is excited. And the reason why he's crying is because he saw the superficialness of the people. They were there just to get from him what they wanted, not what he wanted to give them. And so in churches like ours and other churches all across the country and the world at this time, there are people that want to come to get something from Jesus, but they don't want Jesus to do something for them that they need to have done. And so everywhere his story is told, people join this parade. And today you can either watch the parade and you can go home and you can say, listen, that was a nice parade. I guess I'll hear about it next year. Or you can join the parade and you can become a follower of Christ. The decision is yours. Because I think a lot of times what happens is people come at this particular time of the year and they see the parade and they say, boy, these Christians are pretty happy. I'll see them again next year, I guess. Uh, don't miss out on the Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't just watch the parade. Don't just say, hey, listen, that was a good service. Let's get in there with Lazarus and other of his followers and really follow him because he's leading us to heaven. And he says, if you'll follow me, I'll give you, listen to this, I'll give you a bigger life, I'll give you a better life, and I'll give you the help to live it if you follow me. So I want to invite you today to follow Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. You know, every time we come to church, it's a decision time. We decide to say yes to what we've heard or to kind of ignore it. And maybe we don't want to say no, but we don't want to say yes either. But Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. And so it's no accident that you're here today. And I want to ask you, maybe you're here today and you've been a spectator at the parade. Maybe you've seen the Easter parade come and go for years and, and you said, you know, that, that's kind of an interesting story, but it doesn't have any impact on me. Well, listen, it was all for you. I don't want you to get away from that. It was all for you. Jesus died on a cross 
for you. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be saved. That's why he came. And so I want to give you that opportunity right now. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to have an emotional decision. All you have to do is have a humble heart and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I've broken your law. Forgive me. I embrace you. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a follower of you because you love me so much. And so let's bow our head. And if you've never prayed a prayer like that to God from the bottom of your heart, would you do that right now? God will hear your prayer. You don't have to verbalize it. Just speak it in your mind to God. Dear Lord, I just pray now that as uh, your spirit opens our hearts, that you will move in our church today to the salvation of souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And as we sing this song, if you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life, the life of a friend, you just feel free to do that now. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise, all that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. Good morning. Well, it's ladies' retreat time. Um, if you were able to catch any of the video last time, uh, last Sunday, it showed many comforts, many comforts that God provides us. Um, we also saw visions of our comforter or artist's visions um, and then we also there was slides that are we too comfortable well the, those are the themes of our retreat weekend comforts comforter and too comfortable um, we have a wonderful speaker coming if you're not sure if you're too comfortable she'll give you some tips on how you would know if um, well for many of us this has been a really difficult year and so where do we find our comfort do we find them in things or do we find them in our comforter so please, if you have any questions, 
Um, if, if you're not sure if you want to go or you don't want to go, please pray for that. It's for ladies who've graduated from high school until 100. Do we have anyone over 100? Okay. So um, if, if you need some information, there's some in the foyer. If you would like to pick up some information for someone, you can do that too. Um, but we've, we've planned a really great weekend full of comforts um, to worship our comforter. And uh, at times may not be too comfortable. I said earlier that this isn't comfortable for me at all, standing up here. Um, we hope to stretch you, though, in ways that God would like you to. So please, please join us. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dion. I want to encourage all the ladies to go to the retreat. Man, we love the ladies to go to the treat, retreat. They come back all excited, man. They're like... It's tremendous, really, for the church. It's tremendous for the families. And ladies, invite some of your friends. Some of the ladies you work with, invite them. Bring them to the retreat because it turns into be a revival. It's a wonderful thing. Somebody told me years ago when we started out that the job of a minister was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. And uh, I've been trying to do that. We have to all do that. Uh, Friday night, uh, we'll see you here in the church uh, for a great time. God bless you. You're dismissed. Turn around and shake hands with a few people. God bless you. Thank you.